In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. In her new book, Inner Medicine, Becoming One with Mother Earth for the Survival of Humanity, Carrie Hummingbird brings us a wake-up call to go on a great departure from all we have ever known. Step into the mystery of an epic quest for the survival of humanity and make a bid for power to evolve into Homo Luminous, the one who dreams, the sacred dream of New Earth, for our descendants seven generations to come. Pre-order your copy today at carriehummingbird.com forward slash intermedicine. That's K-E-R-R-I-H-U-M-M-I-N-G-B-I-R-D.com forward slash intermedicine and join a special ceremony on Earth Day, April 22nd. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind the scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism demystified. Hi, all, Nicole here. This podcast is intended to inspire you on your personal spiritual journey to inner peace. I am not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. This applies to the podcast guests and or co-hosts. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. Hello, Psychic listeners. Welcome to another episode of A Psychic Story. For this episode, I have on international psychic medium Heather Reese Madison. She is a psychic on Travel Channel's Kindred Spirits show. She is also a paranormal investigator, author, Reiki master, sensitive, ordained minister, psychometrician, medical empath, teacher, and past lives intuitive. She and her husband, Robert, own Greystone Manor Bed and Breakfast in New York. Their B&B has been featured as a haunted location on Most Terrifying Places and Kindred Spirits on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus, Hotel Paranormal on the t Channel, The Ghost Finders on Roku Spirit Channel, Nick Groff's Death Walker series within these walls on Amazon, as well as several YouTube appearances. Heather has also appeared in the award-winning documentary, There's No Such Thing as Ghost. She is the author of three books, The Haunting of Greystone Manor, Letters to Olivia, If You Could Hear What I Hear, and Letters to Olivia, Past, Present, and Future Days. Welcome to the show, Heather. Hi, everyone. So we, I'm really excited to talk to you because how we kind of, or I came across you is I was watching I was catching up on Kindred Spirits, which I love that show. Been quite a while since I have been watching it. And you came on and I just had this message. You need to have her on to talk about psychometry, which we'll get into in a little bit. But before we do, I'd love to hear about your story, your personal journey and how you got to where you are today. Uh, Yeah, by my personal journey, I mean, I grew up in a family of psychics, sort of runs in the family. My grandmother used to read tea leaves. My mother had issues with the near-death experience where she was seeing people, but she was always sensitive to. She would see dead people. After she had my sister in the hospital, she had an issue bleeding. She did pass away for about 10 minutes. They brought her back. It was like a crazy thing. So we're all sort of sensitive. I myself had an issue with near-death experience. I drowned at a beach out in California. And even though I was always sensitive to things, I could always pick up on places and people and things like that. After my experience with that near-death, experience it just it was like throwing gasoline on a fire and things just started to really go crazy for me i can hear things about people see things about people pick up on them pick up illnesses on them 
and have, and I could start to see people around them as well. So for me, that's sort of where it started. From your personal experience with the near-death experience, why do you think that's the case? I've read different scientific quote-unquote explanations, but what do you think it is? Why is that that you, we think that the paranormal or psychic abilities are heightened? I did ask my spirit guides about that. I communicate. I'm clear audience, so I hear them. It's almost like I'm on a cell phone. So when people around me or my spirit guides want to talk to me, it's they're really loud. Um, It's just like they're on a phone with me. They were explaining to me when all this was happening. They said it's almost like a rubber band. So like when you pass away, when you die and you have near-death experience, your spirit's ascending, going up into the spirit realms. When they tell you to come back down, you come back down to earth. They send you back down into your body. But it's almost like the stretchiness. They lose the stretchiness a little bit and it doesn't come down all the way properly. So now you're connected. Also, there's belief systems where they say your spirit moves in a clockwise position. Everyone who's earthbound because you're being sent down. From the higher realms. And then when you have a near death experience where you crossed over, your spirit starts to turn counterclockwise, heading back up. When you get sent back down to earth like this near death experience, you're start sort of stuck in this weird, your spirit's not moving in a normal motion. You're sort of in between, you're sort of trying to head up. So that's why ghosts will lots of times try to confront people who've had near death experiences or they seem like a magnet to them because you look funny to them. So the ghost realm, you almost look like you've already crossed over yourself and they think you can communicate with them. So they're drawn to you. Also, your aura changes. So people have different auras, different color fields around them. Just in daily life, everyone has their own sort of energy fields. People who've had near-death experiences look purpley blue to them. These are the colors that I saw as well. So when I crossed, I saw the most amazing colors. They don't exist. It's like a purpley, almost like magenta blue and it was like a weird substance that I felt like I was in. Like it was like white, almost looked like milk or, or feathers. It was strangely solid, but it wasn't. It was soft. It was really weird. But anyway, so that's how they sort of explained it to me that you now have this strange energy field around you that isn't like a normal color or doesn't, that isn't moving normally. That is totally fascinating. Thank you for explaining that. I'd never heard about it. And it makes sense that if you are kind of your energy's flowing in one direction and when you leave, it flows in another, you come back, it's almost off kilter, not balanced. It's just you probably can receive and send out information or energy in a way that is different than when you left and came back. Very cool. Right, right. So now you definitely look altered. And to the ghost realm, because ghost realm is strange anyway, because they're sort of stuck in, it's almost like a limbo mode. They really don't have a proper concept of time. But it's not like we are, where it's like, oh, it's been three weeks. They don't have time in the same issues as we do. But they'll be, they'll draw, they'll be drawn to you. So you could go out anywhere. You know, you don't have to be like in a haunted location. You could just be going to a store and they'll follow you or they'll come up to you and try and talk to you. Oh, that's so cool. I never really thought about the other way around too, that we look different to ghosts. <laughs> so what is, so just, this is a question that I have, total random one. If there, if you're a ghost or you're a soul that's passed over and you're having this experience, do you have like a physical experience like we do? Well, you know, I w- the way they explain it to me, they don't really have no concept of like cold or heat, nothing tactile, nothing that would affect your human as far as temperature changes or not feeling well, but you're sort of stuck in that mode. It depends on how you died. So I'm a medical empath. So a lot of times I'll pick up people's issues if they're not feeling well, things like that. And then that's one of the first things that I pick up on these entities when they come to me. I'll all of a sudden say they died of head trauma or something. My head will start to hurt or my stomach will hurt if they had some strange. So I pick up their sickness and that's when I know right away. I'm like, there's a, somebody here who's got issues with their leg or, you know, like all of a sudden I'll have this weird pain or I'll feel ill and I'll know someone's around me. That's the first sign I know that someone's coming towards me. Interesting. Yeah. I started up until recently, I didn't have those physical sensations or experiences when I would do readings on people, not necessarily people who have passed over. And, but it started for me about a day before I had a session with someone where I would have an experience. And for a while, I was like, oh, not again. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Until I realized exactly like you're saying that they do give you or spirit does give you those sensations. And I think it's fascinating. I always, I wouldn't say I was afraid of it, but I didn't necessarily want to have that experience. But now that it comes in and understanding it, once I guess I feel it, I'm able to release it. So that's interesting that you get that with the ghosts or the people who have passed over. Uh It's almost like a defining level for them too. So even if someone did uh, crossover properly. If I'm doing a reading for somebody and say like their grandmother steps in or someone who has, you know, they've done their death has crossed 
properly. They've left this plane. They've gone up to the higher spirit realms. And let them, they'll come in and sometimes they'll show me how they died. Let's say it was like an impact or a heart attack or something. I'll feel pressure on my chest and I'll say, someone's around me who's got heart issues or someone, you know, and that, that's their way of letting me know. Almost like validation. That's the right person to this person who I'm reading or that I'm talking to. When did you start doing this professionally? So you said in your family, you had these the psychic lineage with your mother and other people that are related to you. And then you had the near-death experience. Were you doing things professionally before then or when it kicked into overdrive? Is that when you started to kind of go more into that direction? I, I wasn't really doing it professionally until I would say probably about 20 years ago or so. Just as a, you know, I, because I was picking up so much stuff after my accident, I was about 20 when this happened. And then I was trying to ignore it because it was just overwhelming. I was picking up so much stuff and seeing things and it was, I was trying to block as much as I could. But then things, as time progressed, I ended up getting married, having kids and things like that. And my, I had two kids and my daughter, when she was about two years old, started telling me all about how she died, how she died before in great detail, telling me family names, telling me her name. I asked her what her phone number was. She told me her phone number, which was like TR3405. So it was like letters and numbers. And she was two at the time. She didn't even know her regular number. She didn't know her current number. So she was giving me so much crazy information, you know, and saying how she died in a car accident. And it was so weirdly detailed. And she would talk like it was present time about the people, you know, like her my name is Baby Brina. My name, real name is Sabrina. My grandmother's Sabrina or whatever. She would give me so much crazy information. I was taking notes, writing it down. And then I started going okay, something weird is going on here. And then I started really sort of researching that. And that sort of got me into this more. Just sort of looking into my own curiosity to see what I was picking up and, and what I could get from her. And then it was validating. I would ask her questions. She would give me those answers. So it was crazy, like what I was getting from her and then the spirits around her. So very interesting with the past life stuff. And then that started opening up. And then I started telling people, friends and stuff like that, like, all the issues about my daughter and with her past life stuff. And, and I would just tell people, well, you know how I am. Like I pick up on stuff anyway. And then it just slowly started as like a, just goofing around. My brother-in-law's sister, she's like, well, what do you get from me? And I would tell her, well, I feel this and this. And then I was picking up a lot of information on her, just sitting talking. And then she goes, I want my friend wants to see if you can get something of her. So this is someone I had never met before. But I didn't know anything about them. So she's like, okay, what do you get from her? And then same, I started taking notes. So I like... I'm an auto writer. I like to write a lot. I'm a channeler. Um, so I will ask whoever's around this person, you know, spirit guides or whoever wants to talk, can you write messages down for me or what you want to tell me about this person? And so they did that for this, my sister-in-law's friend. And it was bizarre because they were giving me names and all kinds of crazy detail that I, I couldn't know. I didn't know this person at all. Um, then just sort of snowballed from there. And then other people were asking me to do readings and, you know, just same sorts of stuff. Like, what do you see for me? What do you do? And then I started doing a lot of picking up card decks that I liked a lot, like angel cards, oracle card readings, things like that. I sort of prefer those more than the tarot. They're very direct for answers. And it's almost like validation for some of the stuff I'm picking up. And then if I do the cards and I get the same answers, I'm like, OK, that's pretty much a validation. So it just sort of snowballed from there. And then I started just going out and doing this as like, just I want to say it was a, like a joke, but I just did it to see, just sort of a curiosity more than anything on my part, just to see what I would get. I would enter into some psychic fairs, and even though I've been doing them privately for a long time, yeah, and I just kept going from there. Well, you're amazing. Your skills. The reason I love watching the shows like Kindred Spirits and others as, as a psychic myself, I kind of like to see if I pick up or get any psychic hits as I'm watching, you know, and then as things unfold or they're uncovered. And the first time I really thought about it more was when I saw, it was a couple episodes that you, it's called psychometry. So for people that aren't familiar with it, do you mind sharing what psychometry is and, you know, how I guess it would come about or as a psychic, how you receive that information? Yes, it's, it's basically energy reading from an object or, well, for a person as well, but usually from an object. I do a lot of seance work as well. So with seances, I'll ask people to bring in items of a person who's passed. I don't want to know anything about them. I do old school seances. I use like white candles. There's a, the way you set them up is like you do like a triangle form. You put the item in the middle, but then I hold the item and then I'll tell you what I'm getting from the item and I ask the person. It's a way to sort of communicate and connect with the person that's connected to that item. I'll ask for personal items like keys or like a cell phone or something they would have carried on them or it was very important to them. So I've been doing that for a long time as well. And basically you're just, you're picking up an object and then 
for me, I start to see images. I start to feel things about the object. And then my guides will just take it and run and tell me all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, this is going on. This is going on. And then I just, that's why I take notes. So I'll just write notes. So whatever they give me about the object, I'll just write down what they're showing me, what I'm feeling about it. It's almost like a wait. I know it's strange, but you know, if you're almost meditating where you sort of zen out for a minute and then if you quiet your mind down, you start to hear, you let your spirit guide sort of talk and then whatever you're sort of being shown or see, you just start taking notes, whatever you think you're seeing. And for me, I'm clear audience. So my, my guys will give me all kinds of information, but they will definitely push on certain aspects of it, whatever the object is, you know. Now, do you think that the reason why, well, I mean, I guess my personal opinion would be that everything's energy. So if you've carried an item around, like you said, car keys, I think one of the episodes I saw there was a hat, right? So the person probably wore the hat a lot, that their energy is just kind of infused or integrated and back and forth. And so it holds on to that energetic pattern, so to speak. And then you're able to pick up on that. So when the person's passed over, it might be hard for them, I guess, their soul energy to connect, but the object itself retains that information or that energy? Right. It's a theory called the stone tape theory. The belief is that exactly like you said, stone tape theory is about a, so an inanimate object will absorb the energy of the person or surroundings, whatever's going on, almost like it manifests into that object. So it doesn't have to be a living thing. You know what I mean? So that's why it's an unusual thing to be able to read from an object. But that's why a lot of houses are quote unquote haunted because it's almost like absorbing the energy, the stuff that went on in that building or that place. Right. It's in the walls. It's in the fiber. It's in, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? The plaster. Yeah. And that's why I sometimes think when I see or I've heard of what I would call like a residual haunting or where there's maybe a noise like footsteps or a certain thing that a person maybe repeat and it would be repetitive. It's almost imprinted on that place or that object. So it may not necessarily be the object itself may be quote unquote haunted or have the energy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a spirit or a soul attached to it in some cases. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say such if it's a very personal item, you know, it's really going to sort of leave a mark. I just think it definitely is that imprint on there. Now, tell me a little bit about Greystone Manor and how you and your husband came across it. And I saw on your website that you've renovated it and brought it to its former glory. But also, is it that, you know, I read your bio at the top. It's been on a bunch of shows, which now I have to watch <laughs> about it. But so how'd you come across it? And was it because it was haunted that it was attracted to you or you were attracted to it? Or tell us about that. Oh, no, not at all. I had my own house. I was living out near Buffalo, New York, in a suburb out there called Tonawanda, but I own my own house. And my husband and I had met about seven years ago now, and he's from the country. He literally grew up on a mountain. There was like 25 people in his high school. <laughs> and I was living in this, a very busy suburbs of Buffalo. Lots of neighbors, you know, there's they no land or anything. And he just kept saying, when we first got together, we're getting married and everything. He's like, I really want something with land. I want some country around us, you know. So we started looking, we were originally looking at South Towns, but I wanted something bigger, older home. I just love the Victorian era. I like that style, you know, I'm a big fan of anything pre-World War II because it's built to last. So we started looking and we couldn't find anything we liked. Everything that we saw was really run down, needed so much, oh my gosh, you know, work, these old houses. And he was going for a VA loan. So the VA is very picky. The houses have to be a really interesting condition because it's a risk for them to give you a loan the government and all that. So it really has to be good shape. So we looked at a bunch of houses and we gave up because there's nothing we saw. And then about six months later, and I had gotten rid of all my apps on my phone, like, you know, Zillow and all those. I got rid of everything. And then, but this house, for some reason, kept popping up on my phone saying, hey, we found a house for you. And I had gotten rid of my apps. I'm like, why are you sending me this? Like, I, it was so funny. And then after about six months, I'm like, I talked to a friend who was our real estate agent. And I said, hey, there's this house. I want to check it out. And the pictures for the listing were so funny because they were really not good pictures of the house. It was just like a plain door. But I figured, let's go look at this thing. Something's telling me to come look at it. So that day, we came to look at three. And the other two were in really bad shape. And this one was in a really nice shape for the age of it. So we walked into the house to look at it. The day we walked in, the real estate agent said that she had just gotten a message on her phone saying from the listing agent, that the house is sold. It was no longer on the market. So I, what I did was that we walked into the kitchen area. I looked into the doors into like the main parlor. And I'm like, wow, it's, it looks like it's in really good shape. The inside's really nice for being an old house. And that's as far as I looked. So I never got a read on the house. As a psychic, first thing I do is I walk around and I go into every corner of the house. I check faucets. I do everything, but I try and 
feel, read the house. But we were pretty much turned away immediately when we walked in and then told it was sold. So we left. But on the way home, we didn't like the other two houses that we looked at that day. And my husband said, you know what, let's just put a bid on it. He's going, it just is a joke, really. He's like, let's see if they, maybe they bid low. Let's bid a little bit higher and see if they accept it. And we were not expecting them to accept it at all. And we got a call the next day saying, hey, you guys bought a house. And we were like, oh, okay. So I said to my friend, I'm like, hey, we need to go back through the house because we really remember, and I was trying to tell her, like, remember, we didn't get a chance to even go in the basement to look around too much. My husband did, but we didn't go upstairs or anything. And she goes, you can't because you're under contract, so you can't go back through the house because the house was in foreclosure at that point. No one had been here in about four and a half years. The house was sitting empty. The bank had been trying to sell it for years and couldn't sell it. We ended up trying to come over here and just peeking in the windows and looking. And before all that, I told my friend, I'm like, hey, listen, for the final walkthrough, the final inspection, that was the next chance we were going to get to come in. She said, just, I said, make sure that we're with you because I want to get a read on the house. And she was like laughing. I'm like, no, I'm serious. I want to know that make sure everything's good. And uh, about two months later, I get this text from her and, and she goes, hey, the walkthrough went great. And I'm like, no, look, no. I was supposed to go with you, don't you remember? And she goes, oh, I forgot about that. She's like, well, I was out here, so I just did an inspection for it. It's fine. Everything's in good shape. And I'm like, oh, my God. So we didn't get a chance to really get in here until the day we moved in. The day we moved in, we were laughing because we were trying to, like, look in the windows and see what the floor plan was. We really didn't know what it looked like in here. And so the day we moved in, busy. Everybody's in here helping, you know, nieces and nephews and all the family and stuff. So there's, like, a million people in here, so it was chaos. And then the first thing we realized something was going on was the next morning we were hearing noises. And we had taken pictures about a couple of weeks before of the house, the outside of the house, because we were trying to get pictures just in through the windows. And that day was the first day we thought something was going on. My husband said that he thought he saw a lady standing by the back door. He was looking in the windows in the back. This is before we moved in, like a few weeks before. And he said he thought it was his daughter who was with us at the time, but she had been sitting in the front the whole time. She wasn't back there at all. And then he took pictures. When he got home, he blew up some pictures. And on the windows, you can see a woman watching us from the window. So he goes, I think there's something going on in the house. And, I'm, and at that point, it was way too late. I'm like, we're moving in. And I'm like, weak. So it's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Anyway, so the next morning after we did move in, we're hearing it, what it sounded like was in the upstairs bedroom. We're having coffee in the main parlor downstairs. We are, it sounded like, you know, when you have an empty dresser and you open dresser drawers, and there's nothing in it, like empty dresser drawer sound or some, or wooden things like being moved. And we're like, wait, did someone stay over last night? Is someone upstairs? Because <laughs> we're like, what is going on? And yeah, nobody's in the house, just us. And then we're hearing walking. We started hearing all kinds of stuff. And that morning was the first time I saw the ghost. So they introduced themselves. So it's the Curtis Root. He died in 1889. He was one of his crushed by his racehorse. And he was really friendly, dressed like old timey 1800s clothes. And then his wife, passed much later than him she was i think she was in her 80s when she passed and she stays in the front stairwell she like greets people when they walk in but she's sort of strict like victorian and i'm they both those are the first two i spoke to and they were being really funny because they kept saying things like don't worry because like, i was explaining what we're doing i'm like i'm not gonna change the floor plan i'm not gonna change everything because the house is so intact victorian it was just kept no one ever altered anything in here well it sat for a long time because the owners the previous owners to me she saved a lot of the house. She put all new plumbing, new electric, all that kind of stuff. She did all the stuff you don't see. But she also was an antiques dealer. She worked for the government, but she also did antiques. So she knew to save the antique stuff in the house. But the lady before her who lived here from 1923 to 2000 was in her 90s when she passed. And she was blind for the last 35 years she lived here. So she never altered anything. So everything was original to when the roots were here. So this is like late 18, oh, mid 1800s. So the velvet... Curtains were still in the doorways. All the cloth Victorian carpets were on the floor still when the lady before me bought it. So it was completely just like this weird time capsule. But anyway, so the people, the ghosts that I met were telling me that it's okay. We wanted to bring family back to the house. And that's how they're saying. And I was explaining to them, you know, that we're not going to mess with anything. And I said to them, I said, okay. And they kept saying that to me. And I thought they just meant because I come from a big family. We have all the big family gatherings here, Christmas and everything, Easter's here. And then I found out about two years ago, my cousin was doing her ancestry, you know, ancestry.com stuff or DNA searches. And he was trying to do the family tree. And he calls me and he goes, hey, by the way, I want to let you know, we're actually blood related to the root family. The roots that lived here, where we have the same like four times great grandfather, Joshua Root. He had three boys. So we're actually blood related to these guys. So the people who lived here for the 
I don't want to say almost like the longest amount of time, but they're here from the 1860s to about 1900. So just to make it weird, so that's what they're sort of explaining, that we're cousins. And at the time that my great-grandfather, he had the four times great-grandfather, had three boys. So Joshua Jr. is our line. Thomas Jr., the brother, is these people. And then there was a John Root. And then at the time that they all lived here, they all would have been first cousins and they all would have known each other. So it would have been very close. So super weird and strange. And those ghosts kept attacking people, though, here at the house. People were getting, almost felt like they were being touched. They were being watched all the time. And I had to have a little talk with the ghosts here. And at one point I said, listen, you know, I, I understand that, you know, you lived here. We're living here now. I was trying to calm the energy down. And I said, if I'm inviting people over, because when we first moved in, we had no idea, you know, it was really haunted what was going on. But, you know, after meeting these ghosts, but then I was bringing my friends in who were psychics, and I was bringing friends in who were paranormal investigators just to see what else they were picking up because there was other stuff going on in the house. It wasn't just those two. Stuff in the basement, there was stuff outside. The creepiness outside is absolutely nuts. With the Native American burials out back, like shadow people were crazy. And they just kept saying, Joe, what I would tell them if I'm inviting friends over here, people over here, you don't have to attack them or anything. It's, you know, fine because people would feel sick, all kinds of stuff. And they said, well, it's not up to you who you invite over here. It's up to us. And we're vetting them out. So it's not you know, like they're not, they're basically not trusting me. <laughs> they want to make sure that these people are okay to be here. It was really funny. So I was sort of arguing with them for a little bit. That's like, it reminds me of that show, that TV show Ghosts, which has the British sitcom. And then the, it's literally like, it's a rip off of your life because you have all these ghosts. When that show started, I'm like, hey, that's us. <laughs> Pretty much what we've been dealing with. Yeah, you need to contact them and be like, did you take this from my life? Because this is what's happening right now. So anyone who's listening who hasn't watched the show, there's a TV show, there's a British version and a US version, and you can search online and stream and it's really funny and I think it's really great. It brings, I think, the characters being people who are passed over and are now quote unquote ghosts. They were alive once, right? I think we totally forget that. And I do find it interesting, like you said, not only it's so amazing that your family from you know the past brought you to this house and now you're able to live in this home and share these multi-generational lineages and these experiences with them. But yeah, so you said that after a while they were telling you, no, we're going to vet them. <laughs> so has that kind of subsided? Have they, have you guys built up that trust where, you know, now they're cool with you just making the decisions or what's that like? They're being good about it. They're definitely better about it. They've calmed down a little bit, I think. I think that because at first it was crazy. I wrote a book called The Hunting Gristown Manor. And what that book is about is our experiences when we first bought the house, pretty much what I'm telling you. But then all the experiences people were having, my brother-in-law, my husband's brother, had issues with he had amnesia living here one time because they were messing with him badly. Because when we first moved in here, he would walk in the house, the husband's brother, and say things like, let's tear this place down. Let's put a double wide here. He would always like say things like that. He was joking, but he, but I don't think the ghosts knew what was going on and they were attacking him. You know, they're making him sick, all kinds of stuff. And he left here one day and he said he had no idea who he was, where he was going. He was driving. It's total amnesia. Like, they're totally messing with him. So they'll, they will definitely, they can do things to people that if they're not happy with them. So we've definitely seen that. But they've calmed down for us as far as that goes, but there's still other stuff going on. I mean, that's why, you know, out back, there were issues with the graves that are missing. The lady before me, the one who saved the house and everything I was telling you about, like she said, there was a tombstone out back by the kitchen side of the house. There used to be about 17 tombstones there. One of them said, our Ben on it. And she dug that up, the tombstone, and brought it in the house and had it as a decoration in the main parlor the whole time she lived here. And it was making things go crazy in the house. She had to have reverends in from this little psychic community called Lily Dad that's near us. And she had to have them come in and do exorcisms four different times because her kids were being pushed down the stairs. They were getting attacked in the house. They're getting pushed off ladders. They couldn't keep like get general contractors working on the house. They all kept quitting because they were getting messed with. Tools were getting thrown at them and all kinds of stuff. So the tombstone that she took, though, she thought it was a racehorse grave. That's why she put it in here. But it turns out it was probably a three or four-year-old boy of the Root family, one of the sons of the Roots. He's about three or four. He's still here. He's up at the kids' room, we call it. We hear him. We see him. And, her, and the lady before me, her son, used to see him. He would come out of the closet and sit on the end of his bed and talk to him, wake him up at night and mess with him. And she was actually painting the, one of the rooms downstairs at one point. And 
At the time, her son was only about four years old himself. And he came downstairs and pointed to like the Dutch boy paint can that she was painting with. And she said, that's the boy that's in my room. So he looks like the Dutch boy paint can. So he's dressed in old timey clothes. You know what I mean? So he even identified who he is, what he looks like. But the tombstones, that's bizarre because the bank owned her for like four and a half years. She, her job got transferred. That's why she ended up leaving the home. And then um, the bank took it over. But with all the graves by the kitchen side of the house, you would pull up into the driveway. It's like a horseshoe driveway. You come in and go around. You would drive in that driveway and you were looking at like 17 graves. And they thought it was spooking people away from buying the house. So we think the bank ditched them or threw them out or dug them up. Because the Arben tombstone, we know that's missing. I couldn't find that either. I was put into contact with the previous owner. About six months after we moved in, I met some neighbors who told me, oh, hey, we grew up with the kids who lived here. And I said, oh, my God, can you put me in touch with them? Because we wanted to compare notes. I wanted to know, was this stuff happening with the other families who lived here? Or is it just us? Like, what is going on? And that was the funniest phone call ever. I talked to her, the previous owner, for hours, probably five hours. And she's like, oh, my God, the stuff we dealt with. She's like, that's part of the reason we moved out, because the paranormal activity was so crazy. But she told me that she took that tombstone with her down to her new home out of state. And then with the tombstones that were there, though, her daughter actually came to stay with us for a weekend. And she came because I would tell her, I'm like, I don't see these other tombstones you're talking about. She's like, well, maybe they're just overgrown with the grass. She's like, they were like laying flat. You flip them over and there's writing all on them. And I'm like, we are not seeing these tombstones. I don't know what you mean. So the daughter came to stay with us for a weekend with her fiance and she grew up in this house and she was so funny because she goes, oh, they're right over here. We go over into this grassy area there's nothing, no sign of anything anymore. She's like, they must have moved. Or she's like, they were here. We used to, you know, as kids, you know, we were always like, oh, that's the graveyard area. But then she said there were more in this weird overgrown patch near the barn foundations. And that's the stuff that if you watch the episode uh, for Kindred Spirits, they actually show that graveyard area. That's the ones we uncovered because the previous owner's daughters told us they were there. We had to pull out like 10 trees. We had to dig out all of this ivy and vines. They were all completely overgrown. And as we were pulling stuff out of there, we were like, there's another one. Like, yeah, we think there's two different things going on there. We don't know if it goes back to the Newcomb family who originally were here when they're the fruit farmers that were here, but they definitely seem a lot older than the other graves. But on the episode of Kinder Spirits, when we're doing the Estes method and Amy says something like to Adam, there's 15 behind you talking about that there's people buried behind him. That's why I'm saying, yes, I knew that because the lady before me told me that's where those graves all were, right behind him. So I want to get LIDAR out here to do the lawn to see where those graves are because we know that they're there. And maybe, yeah, and I imagine that probably just giving them a little bit of, you know, not that you're not, but People probably before weren't respecting the dead and their resting place, their final resting place. So to be able to understand a little bit more about exactly where it's located probably would put them at ease. And then the back field and the field behind us, though, our episode was really funny, though, because the whole Kindestruits episode was all about the Native American burial mounds that are on the property. If you go look into our high field, it bumps up this huge mound back there. And we we're told by neighbors, you know, that there were they would find arrowheads and all kinds of stuff. So we know there's a huge settlement there. But they found bodies by the bridge that's not even, I don't know, maybe 100 yards from the house. There's a bridge that goes over the Erie Canal. And when they widened the canal years ago, they found bodies there. There's a huge barrel mound not even a mile from us. That's on the Galchina Road. In 1918, they, there was a farmer. It's still a fruit farm. But he was pulling out old dead peach trees with a tractor. And the roots, they were finding hundreds and hundreds of bodies. And so they were bringing people in from Buffalo and Rochester, New York. People were being brought in on trolleys and stuff to come look at the Indian bones. And they were taken home as souvenirs. So people were quick picking through all the bones, taking skulls and stuff home as souvenirs. So we know there was a massive barren mound over there, too. And the reason where we live is called Gasport is because the ground before the Erie Canal in was all natural little blue flames because there's so much natural gas in the ground. So the Native Americans thought it was holy ground and they buried everybody here. So this was a huge graveyard for Native Americans. So it was a sacred place. Yeah. And they uncovered all this information on the Kinder Spirit Station on the Historic Society. And we validated all the Native American stuff. And Amy was so funny because she goes, people always say our house is haunted because the Native American burial ground. And she's like, it never is. She's like, but you guys are crazy out here. There's something called the Scorched Earth Campaign that came through as she found out. General Washington, way back in the day. He ordered that all the Native Americans from the Genesee River Valley area on a diagonal up to Old Fort Niagara Falls, um, all the Native Americans were to be massacred, murdered, burned alive, and the villages burned to the ground. It was called the Scorched Earth Campaign, Solvents Brigade. 
and they murdered everybody who were helping the British. And then in retaliation, the British killed everyone who was left alive helping the Americans, chased them all up to Old Fort Niagara, murdering them, killing them all. Came right through Gaspart were ground zero for this. And they got up to Old Fort Niagara. It was wintertime and the people were like, let us in. They're coming to kill us. They've already killed us. And they said, nope, sorry, there's no room in the fort. You're going to have to. Sorry. And they all stayed outside and froze to death. So there was this huge massacre that happened here. And when our episode aired, and then the whole episode all about this. And then when the episode aired, they called me and said, oh, we can't put the Native American stuff in because we're afraid it will upset for America. Like if this is brought to light. So they had to take anything out that had to do with the history, but it's history. That's exactly what it is, though. I mean, we have, we censor, or I shouldn't say we, a lot of our American history has been censored because, you know, and it's just really sad because you we lose that part of just knowledge and understanding and respect for, you know, other people who lived here. And now it makes sense, though. Like, which they uncovered all that stuff, told us all that. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. No wonder they're so angry, obviously. And it makes sense why it just feels like there's a thousand people standing in our backyard. Like, I've never experienced anything like it. We it feels like Gettysburg battlefields almost. Do you know that feeling where it just feels like there's just a massive amount of people around you? And the oddest part is that we had caught horse hooves, like people like running. We've heard chants and drumming and all kinds of stuff. So we were definitely hearing the Native American stuff we knew from the history anyway that was going on here. But that episode is super funny because the psychometry part, it, that episode, if you don't watch it closely, you wouldn't know what's going on because they didn't really explain it. But they asked me to me and they asked Chip and I to try and guess what was in the bag they put in front of me. And the reason that scene is so weird, they had to edit it because they had to take the Native American part out. But I, so I asked to put my hands near the bag, you know. First thing I said was, is there whiskey and cigars in here? Because <laughs> I was laughing because we always smell cigar smoke here. We smell whiskey because the Roots, the Root family, the Curtis, who is the racehorse guy, they were rum runners and they were, you know, gamblers and they had the racetrack on the property so it was all horse racing and they were a lot of fun These guys were a lot of fun so but then it, i said but let me put my hands there because then i was reading the energy of what's that in there i was just goofing around but then i'm like let me let me put my hands on it and then i said well i go there's cemetery dirt in here and then i said but there's also like pieces of people uh, bone fragments or something because i was getting like lots of people in the other but they were both burial things and i'm like and i'm just looking at them they're just, oh, what the F, what the, they can swear. And you know, they're being so funny. They're like, what are you, like, how are you doing that? And I'm like, why, what is in here? Then I'm like, what the heck is in here, right? And there were two to-go coffee cups. And they'd taken a shovel and they dug up dirt from the cemetery area, put it in one cup. And they took the other coffee cup and put took a shovel and took dirt from the barrel rounds, the Native American barrel rounds, put it in the other cup. And those were, that's what was in the bag. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, the, I was being shown immediately that what that was. You think that the energy that you get in the activity is also a little bit heightened because you are so in tune with what's around you and because it's like they're drawn to you? I mean, it sounds like it was there before too, regardless, but I'm just curious. Yeah, I would say so because the lady before me is also a psychic and uh, Melissa Root back in the 1800s was also a psychic. They used to do seances and stuff here. And the lady before them, the lady who was blind, they are also psychics. They used to use a lot of Ouija boards and stuff here. So it's Gaspar, New York. It used to be a huge psychic community back in the 1800s. It was like the place where everyone went. Really? It's almost like Ca almost like Casadega, Florida, but Gasport, New York. Yeah, I'd never heard that before. and never knew that was a thing, but apparently that was the place to go. I think because we're so close to the Fox sisters and all the stuff that went on with, you know, in Palmyra and John Smith and all the, you know, Mormon stuff and all that, we're, we're not too far from there. It's a weird psychic area. Anyway, we're in the middle of two cross ley lines across the planet. I don't know if you're familiar with the maps. So if you look at the maps, Gasport, we're right on the cross of two ley lines. One goes up towards Montreal. The other one goes up towards Toronto. How do you find the ley lines? Are those easily findable? Or Yeah, just Google ley lines and it'll give you the maps. It'll give you the globe. But look at it because it's crazy. Because I was somebody else talked about energy fields and how strange it is here. And there's so much energy. Um, and that's another reason that like, the Native Americans, the ancients all uh, built their pyramids, their everything on the ley lines. If you look at the maps, of the ley lines, everything like the pyramids, a Bermuda Triangle, everything's all along the ley lines. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ohio is, I think Florida, Ohio, and New York, they're just some weird states in general. And I think it's probably because of the ley lines. And there's also a lot of burial mounds and grounds in Ohio as well. And I say that because I'm from Ohio and I recently moved back. And so anyway, it's just interesting to see all of that. Well, that's that was the longheads were here. So there was something called the, I mean, in all cultures, they believe in these giants that used to live here, you know, go back in history for the Native Americans as a huge part of their culture is there were giants that lived here and then they showed the Native Americans how to survive and all that. And it turns out that Salt Works Road, it's over in something, is Shelby, New York. And it's, I want to say, 20 minutes from us, maybe. We're like ground zero of all these crazy things. That's why we know. And Chip was freaking out about here, too. He's like, you have so much going on there. There's these giant shadow people in land. They're giants. So there's a bunch of Indians called the Neuter Indians, or Neutral Indians. There's like the Senecas, the Iroquois, all those in this area of New York. But the neutral Indians were very peace-loving Indians. They were, they had palliative forts where they were surrounded. They had longhouses. They stayed put. So they weren't nomadic. They didn't go and hunt. They stayed put. They actually had pens that they would put deer in and keep them as cattle. So the neutrals had a big fort over, over there in Shelby. So it was about 20 minutes away. And uh, back in the 1800s, they started digging into the burial mounds that were over by the fort. And they were finding giant skeletons. And finding people who were 8 and 10 feet tall. In the, in the uh, mounds. And they brought them, they sent them to the Smithsonian and they disappeared. Skeletons disappeared. But there's records and there's drawings and everything of what they were digging up and what they found. Like the 1850s. And they were called the longheads. They had the elongated skulls, like super weird. Like, I had no idea that was even going on here. I had heard about Ohio, the spirit mound and all that. You know, they had all the big mounds out there. Yeah, serpent mound is the, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's one in Waverly. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some more research on that. Before we run out of time, I would love to also hear about your books. You called them out the top of the bio, but you said that two of them were channeled by spirit. So share a little bit about those. Yeah, they're called Letters to Olivia, if you hear what I hear, and Letters to Olivia, Past, Present, and Future Days. If you go to our website, www.graystonemanor.com, it's G-R-A-E. It's Scottish. That's why it's spelled G-R-A-E, stone, uh, manor.com. The book links are all on there. They're on Amazon. They're through Barnes & Noble. You can order them through there, too. But if you go on, you can order them. But what they're about, the first two books, I have my guides just sort of, you know, write through me. I did not write these books. They're through them. Very strange. Whoever, whichever guides or other beings wanted to talk through me, they would just talk about different topics. And it's everything from, like, reincarnation to death. What happens when you die? Where do you go? All kinds of different things. Spirit qualities, spirit gifts. What are you given? What, why do people act certain ways? All kinds of different things are in there. And past lives, they explain how that all works. So my guys would write all this stuff down. And when, and the funniest thing was because they were channeling, and I'm not completely illiterate or anything, but they would write certain things. And I'm like, I don't know what that word is. I'm like, I don't know if it's even spelled right. And they'd be like, they would laugh and go, well, look it up. And I would look it up and be like, oh, that's crazy. Like, that's perfect. Like, that's the perfect word. And they would just laugh at me all the time. They're like, all right, okay, we're going to keep going then. I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> I was always fact checking them. But it was funny because they would write about all different things. And then the first book, it's large to Olivia, if you could hear what I hear, because, you know, as a clear audience, I'm hearing them speaking. It's all about basically how I started channeling, talking to them, how I was receiving messages just as a psychic, how they were sort of schooling me. Now, it sounds weird, but they would do these things called counsel at night. They would, I would sleep, have these vivid, crazy dreams. They would show me things and then talk about the next day. It was the astral projection. They were taking me places and I explain all of that, how that all works and how they do sort of guide you and basically help you out. So if, once you start, you're opening yourself up and I was allowing them to talk. They're like, okay, then we're going to explain who you are, what's all, what it's all about. And they were funny too, because they would say things like, they were giving me like power pyramids of how the entities are, who's more powerful than the other ones. They were talking about those different power structures, you know, angels, gods, higher beings, upper, you know. And they were saying, we're using words like gods and angel just to let you know, because they said, because of my like religious background or whatever, I'm not particularly religious. That's the other weird thing. And they were talking about angels and gods. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about that. They're like, well, we're going to explain it. I'm like, okay. But they said, but you would understand if I said someone's an angel that they were had a little more power or more bigger energy field than a human. And like they said, the, everything, they're explaining things about like that. Animal realm were created before humans. They're more powerful than humans. Animals are. They're telepathic. That's why you can call dogs and animals to you. You know how you think about your animals that come running in the room? Like, what are you talking about? Because they can, they're telepathic like angels. Angels guard and guide over the animal realm. So, and angels are also telepathic. 
So that's why animals are the ancients are actually healers. And animals also do not reincarnate back in. They will come in at choice. They can choose to come back in. That's why your animals, say you have a dog that you absolutely love. You've had him forever. Passes away and you'll adopt a new dog who acts just like that dog. That dog will choose to come back in for you. They choose not you. They don't have to come back in because they don't have to learn lessons. So they explain all this crazy stuff with different levels. And gods, and like they even say certain people on earth have angelic gifts, God's energy, meaning that they're being tapped with certain psychic gifts, you know, even to be telepathic or to see things like they're being gifted. Certain people have different energy fields. So everyone's not what they appear. I know it sounds weird, but not everyone's just a human. Sometimes you have a touch of this or a touch of that as far as gifts go. Yeah. Is that why they maybe say that there are walking angels or angels on earth or you're earth angel, I guess, because maybe you have different energy like you were saying? Well, they, they even call people step. They explain there's this thing called a step in where say someone died of a, say you had a car accident and you died and you just, they brought you back to life. But your body was, you just weren't capable of bringing yourself back. They'll have like an angel step in and take your life over. That's why a lot of times people will change so much when they've had near-death experiences, although act very strange after, because it's not really them. They're telepathic, so they know what your life was about, but then things will be missing. That's why key parts of your life will be gone. They call these people like step-ins. And now they're almost like healers. But a lot of times they'll be troubled, though, because they're sort of wanting to ch- cross over. I know it sounds weird. It's complicated, but they sort of explain how they deal that, but they do it to heal people. But also your reincarnations, you know, when you do contracts with people, when you come in to reincarnate, one of your, you know, you path out your life and everything, you path out your death time when you're going to die in your reincarnation as well. And if you make an agreement to live to be, say, 80 and you committed suicide at 30, because depending on what the issue is, there's different reasons why. If it was for like a selfish reason, then maybe you did it to hurt someone, you know, like, oh, that person broke up with me. I'm going to die and show them. It depends on why you died or how. They'll, that's why sometimes those people are ghosts. They'll stay earthbound until they would have turned 80 and then they go back. But the reason they do that is because they're not going to reward you for killing yourself. Why send you back to the higher order? You agreed to stay earthbound until you're 80. So there's all these funny things that they sort of explain. All stuff goes in and this is all through the higher order. They sort of jumped in and wrote all this stuff. The second book is all about, I had people, I asked them, I said, you know, is there anything that you want me to ask my guides about? And they're like a friend of my good friend of mine is really into UFOs and aliens. I am not. But he's like, what are crop circles about? He grew up on a farm and he wanted to know. And I said, okay, you guys, what, what are crop circles about? And they said, well, and then they explained all crop circles and it's about the ships they fly and it's magnetic fields and that there's different. And I, cause I'm like, first of all, are there aliens? Like what's going on? And they explained all about UFOs and how it's human. That's so crazy. Like they wrote about so many different factors I'm going on. So that's what the second book's about was mostly the second book's to me, I think it's sort of interesting in the fact that it's just other people asking me questions about, you know, all different kinds of topics. And then they, it's like my guys, guides answering, but yeah, very strange, very strange to write things down. It's because I always say it's not me. And if you look at my notes, the writing changes all the time, depending on who's channeling through me, a different handwriting. Yeah. And I explained to people too that it was, you know, sometimes people say, well, what is a downloader? What is channeling? And when you get information, and that's also the way that I can distinguish when it's a message from myself, i.e., my higher self, or if it's from my quote unquote guides and angels, because they use language that I wouldn't necessarily use, you know, or like you said, words even, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to people, I'm like, I'll have to clarify and say, this is not a saying I would normally use, but let me share this with you. Because again, it's from their spirit team, what have you. So I find that part for us all is just fascinating and that you are getting all of that information on a variety of topics. I love, love, love the animal part. I never really thought about it that way. You know, that they were, that they came before us and also that they don't necessarily reincarnate the way we do to learn lessons. They can pretty much decide when if they want <laughs> to come in at any point. Yep, they're pure beings. You know, they don't need to learn any lessons. That's why they'll even like my, my angels will even say, because the angels don't particularly like humans too much. They're assigned to you to help you in certain aspects, but they will always prefer animals over humans. That's why there's like a house fire. You'll see like all the animals got out safe, but the people didn't. They will save the animals first. Yeah, also too, because animals have just, they trust their instincts more than we do. <laughs> it's a little bit of survival of the fittest, you know. And get right or give it a heads up. Like, oh, hey, this is not going to end up well. <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, yeah, so it's just crazy. There's so much out there. I know there really is. Well, I've loved our conversation before we end. Is there anything else that you'd like to cover off or share that we didn't have a chance to get to? 
No, I would just say, you know, as far as the B&B goes, we are open. It's not all spooky. We get lots of people who stay here for different, you know, oh, everything from traveling to Niagara Falls to you name it. We're right on the Bella Wine Trail. We have golf courses all around us, lots of historic areas as well to go discover. And they're good for just staying overnight. But if you want to paranormal investigate, we allow that as well. And very interactive. They're very social. So yeah, that's what we always say. Just be mindful. You know, if you want to investigate, you can. If you're not into the paranormal, those people, they usually don't care. They won't really bother you. So yeah, so it's got a lot of different things going on. That's just our website. You can go, you can call us. The numbers are on there. You can, you know, at Texas email if you want to ask questions about that as well. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, so it's Graystone Manor. That's G-R-A-E-S-T-O-N-E manor.com. She mentioned it earlier. I'll also include it in the show notes. And are you, do you have anything on social media where you'd like people to follow you, maybe on Instagram or Facebook? Facebook, if you go to the Heather Medicine page or Graystone Manor, we have pages on Instagram. Also on Twitter, that's, you know, it's Greystone Manor. If you click on that, you'll see just a picture of me, depending on what I switch it up to. But it's sort of because everything's all on that one website. But like our all of our, you know, all my psychic stuff, all the B&B stuff, because we do so many things here. I mean, everything I teach classes, you know, and pendulums and card reading and all kinds of stuff. I wish you lived closer to me. I would totally be there all the time. <laughs> yeah, because I was just talking about maybe doing some online you know, with the classes. I mean, I have my own booklets that I send you, but I could send you the equipment that you need and I can do class. But yes, there's just a lot going on here. So that's why I always say just go to the website. There's quite a bit on there. We try and update as much as we can. But Facebook's probably the best. Instagram, we're on there as well. Instagram under Manor or Heather Madison. You know, I'll try and do both bios and share a lot on both. But, but Facebook's probably really good. You're going to see most of the stuff on there too. Well, thank you again so much for being on, Heather. I really appreciated it. And yeah, I'm definitely going to check out those books too, because that was a lot. And I think that I want to be able to digest it some more too. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at a psychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.